Boozehound Entertainment presents Scenes from the Attic. The Attic, Keeper of the Gruesome, the Horrifying, and the Shocking. Here in the dark place, leering over a typical neighborhood street, is where the Phantasma lives. The Attic is where you experience disturbing scenes shared by haunted minds and morbid souls. The idea that what you do now, or the things you've done in the past, determines what will happen to you in the future has been around for ages. It goes by many names and phrases. What goes around comes around. Reap what you sow. Instant justice. But its true name is Karma. In this special Scenes from the Attic Trilogy, we tag along with karma and see how the actions of man are confronted by the brutality of karma's wrath. Hello there, chap. The famous quote, there's a sucker born every minute, is a useful thought when it comes to the story about to be told. People still, after all these years, believe P.T. Barnum coined the phrase, when in reality... It was actually a banker named David Hannum. Facts don't matter, though. People will believe in anything. And these days, the crazier it is, the more it gets people really going. Nick had been having trouble falling asleep ever since the rumor started around the office that he was next in line to make partner. He knew the only way to make sure the rumor came true was to work his ass off. That's why he found himself in his fifth floor office on Friday night. It was so late, even the janitorial staff had gone home. The night sky turned golden pink with the sunrise. He'd forgotten to shut the blinds when he fell asleep on the couch, but the light streaming in didn't wake him. It was the constant beeping of his phone. He left it on his desk and had been trying desperately to ignore it, needing more sleep. But the damn thing would not stop buzzing. Someone better have died for all the times they're trying to get a hold of me, he thought as he tossed his suit jacket off him and onto the floor. Nick picked up his cell and saw it wasn't someone trying to reach him. Instead, he had a bunch of Twitter notifications. He opened the app and its notification showed 500 new followers. He blinked several times thinking he must still be sleeping because... He could not fathom why so many people started following him. Unless, well, maybe they were confusing him with some celebrity with the same name. Curious, he sat down on his chair and started to read some of the comments. Realizing right away, all these people had made a big mistake. One tweet read, Finally, we have a savior. You make everything we've been going through make sense. Bless you. Another said, You must be an old soul. Only a person who has lived many lives could touch so many so fast. Nick glanced through more of the comments, and many were of the same ilk. Then he reached the first hate tweet. You obviously must be in a nuthouse because only someone with a brain disease could think of this shit. At this point, Nick was so intrigued, he clicked on the tweet he supposedly wrote. By the time he was done reading the manifesto, he'd broken out in a cold sweat, and his mouth was dry. The first rumblings of the law office's staff talking outside his closed door caught his attention. 
The voices grew louder as the footfalls came closer to his office. A small, almost unheard knock came right after the voices stopped, followed by three loud bangs, like how a police officer knocks on a suspect's door. Nick didn't know if he should dive under his desk and hide, or to answer. This is silly, he thought to himself. The door swung open before he had a chance to move, and a half dozen of his fellow workmates streamed in. All talking at once, but with one clear message. They loved his manifesto and all it stood for. He stood and raised his voice above the crowd, saying it was all just a big mistake. He never did that tweet, and he didn't write the manifesto. A few faces fell, but then someone in the back called out, I don't believe you. That is the exact moment Nick knew he could be in trouble. I mean, if these people were so ready to believe a tweet, and not the person they've known for years, then what was he to do? After ushering everyone out, he grabbed a water bottle from his mini-fridge and put his legal hat on. He called an acquaintance at the police department, only to find out he'd retired a couple months ago and passed away a couple days ago. Well, next was the FBI, but again being Saturday morning, he could only leave a message hoping someone would get back to him later that day. He thought if he just deleted the tweet, I mean, it would all blow over and things would go back to normal. But as he tried to log into his account, he found he couldn't. He sent Twitter an email explaining that his account was hacked and he'd lost access. Within a minute or so, he received an automatic reply from Twitter saying his email address was not associated with this account. His last and final course of action was now gone, since he could not delete the tweet or warn people with a new tweet that this was all just a damn mistake. He watched his account as an outsider. By late afternoon, things had really blown up. More and more tweets were coming out from his account, with more followers jumping on the bandwagon. But when Nick started to hear his name float up from the street below, his blood ran cold. Looking down through his floor-to-ceiling windows, Nick was sickened to see at least a hundred people below with signs and candles chanting his name. He sat down, leaning his head against the cool glass, wondering if he died and went to hell. By the next morning, Nick had come up with a list of journalists he'd always respected and started calling their respective news stations hoping to get at least one interview to explain his side of things. It was 4 p.m. Sunday afternoon by the time he'd finished his last interview, and he threw the desk phone across the room, smashing it against the door. Not one person in the press listened to him when he said he did not write it. They just kept speaking over him, asking him all sorts of questions, including why he would deny writing something that has just galvanized people all over the world like no other document ever had in such a short amount of time, when it was clear from his Twitter feed he'd always had these leanings. Nick wanted to crush his cell under his shoe, but he knew that wouldn't solve anything. Someone out there was out to get him. That had to be it. Why else would someone put this out under his account and change every single tweet he'd ever done to back up the manifesto? As dusk fell, the crowd grew bigger and louder below. 
he was afraid to leave his office. No one believed his story, and now things could just get worse. The last scene he needed was to be attacked by a mob. As the sun finally disappeared below the horizon, one of the partners showed up in his office. She smiled and asked how he was holding up, then told him they all wanted to sit down to dinner at the restaurant on the top floor to, you know, have a little chat. That's it, he thought. They're going to fire him. No one would want to hire him now, and he didn't have any savings because of student loans. He'd be homeless soon with no family to count on. All these thoughts flashed through his mind as he cleaned himself up in the bathroom before facing the firing squad. Nick walked out of the dinner meeting with shaky legs. Damn, they had offered him a full partnership starting immediately. On the elevator ride down to his office, Nick went over the dinner in his mind. He was sure that he told them over and over he did not write the manifesto and someone had just hacked his whole account. But these logical, well-educated people he had looked up to ever since he started working for them blew his mind. None of them would believe him. Monday brought Nick to a new plan. After spending the third night in his office, playing music on his computer louder than the chanting outside, he was ready for one final battle to end this. He called up all the journalists he talked to a few days ago and started with his narrative. He did write the manifesto, but now he realizes how wrong he was, and it was all just a big mistake. In fact, it was just it just started off as a joke, just to see what kind of response he could get. But, you know, now everyone could just go back to their lives and just leave him alone. It wasn't long before Twitter was full of hashtags denouncing Nick and his latest interviews, including You're fake, this is real. Nick is a liar. And we need a new leader. Nick had no idea what was happening beyond his walls as he holed up in his office. But groups around the world were springing up on social media sites, in person in coffee shops, in homes, and one in the very town he lived in. A group of 35 or so people who first met outside Nick's office were now in the home of one of them, taking a break from the crowds to have some food and talk strategy on the best way to stay the course. Almost all had a view, but one member finally said what many were thinking. All right, guys, listen. We have to kill him. He's trying to stop it. The only way it'll grow is if the founder becomes a martyr. He must be sacrificed so the movement can survive. After the group settled down, Frank stayed standing, deciding at that moment what he would do and who he would become. Guys, guys, let me have your attention. We are not killers. I know this, and I can see that in each face I'm looking at out there, but this is not murder. This is protecting the manifesto and everything that we believe in. It has to be done without it tracking back to us or the person who does the deed, because there are some out there that will just not understand. Frank pulled a journal from his coat pocket and held it up for everyone to see. All right, I have decided I will kill Nick. For all of us, using this, the recipe for committing the perfect murder. This plan is foolproof. Trust me, I know this will work. 
Nick will die and our movement will thrive. The world is ours, my friends. The world is fucking ours. With no other ideas in sight, Nick decided to go home. So he pulled on a baseball cap that he found in the lost and found, along with an oversized coat, hoping that, you know, that would be just at least good enough of a disguise to get him past his followers. In the parking garage, he kept his shoulders shrugged and his head down, only glancing up to make sure he was heading in the right direction of his car. A voice yelled his name and, well, instinctively Nick turned around. He sees the coroner standing next to the medical examiner's van. They've met a few times, but Nick can't recall the man's name. Before Nick can make an excuse to walk away, the coroner moves closer, letting him know he'd heard about the craziness going on, and he'd be more than happy to give him a ride home so none of the weirdos out front could follow. Nick doesn't think twice, knowing this was a better plan, and moves toward the coroner's van, but stopped when the man starts laughing. (laughs) No, 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 not in this. I mean, you're not dead yet. The coroner takes him out of the garage in his own car, with Nick covered with a blanket while lying across the back seat. Nick sneezes. Ugh. Then a putrid smell washes up into his nostrils. Oh, the blanket, the blanket smells like death. Nick gets nervous, remembering, you know, he really doesn't know the coroner that well. What he gotten himself into? I mean, how is he going to be able to come up with an excuse to jump out of a moving vehicle? But then the car pulled to a stop, and the man said, All right, here we are. Best of luck, my friend, and don't forget to lock your doors. There are a lot of nut jobs out there. This has been The Manifesto, a special Boozehound Entertainment presentation. Visit weareboozehound.com for more original series and to support our shows. Scenes from the Attic is written by Kate Boyer and Phil Boyer and produced by Boozehound Entertainment. Original concept by Kate Boyer, directed by Phil Boyer. Copyright Boozehound Entertainment, all rights reserved.